This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? It's 9.36, Friday, 10th of November. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. This is WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits that you may have missed so that you can sound intelligent to friends and family. Sound. Yes, that's, that's the main thing. So starting us off is news on the Indonesian elections. Because next year, Indonesians will receive a Valentine's Day gift in the form of a new president as ASEAN's biggest economy is going for their presidential election. There are as many as 204 million registered voters. And there will be uh, an interesting one because Joko Widodo cannot run. He's had his second term. He is done. So there are a new lineup of candidates out there, actually. Including, well, the son is not really running directly, but he is uh, contesting as a VP. And I think this is the one that has caught our eyes, hasn't it, Philip? That's right, because Jiban Raka Booming Raka, 36-year-old, the president's eldest son, has become the youngest vice presidential candidate and is registered to campaign alongside Defence Minister Prabowo Subianto, who is in Jokowi's cabinet. I think this is so fascinating because the point of term limits is so that, you know, you have a clean slate. But what actually somehow has created is that it creates family dynasties. If you think about what's happening in Philippines, you see what's happening now in Indonesia. Actually, term limits doesn't necessarily mean you won't get nepotism. It's just that it comes in very different shapes and sizes moving forward. Okay, so what's the latest news? Now, um, a judicial panel in Indonesia, now you have to follow this, you might need some pen and paper to actually follow the story, has demoted the country's top judge after finding him guilty of a conflict of interest in a ruling last month that allowed President Joko Widodo's son to run for VP. And the reason why a court ruling was needed was because the son was actually technically too young to run. Mm. Now, Anwar Usman, who just so happens to be the president's brother-in-law, ah, this is why you need the pen and paper, was found guilty of gross violation of the court's ethic codes for failing to recuse himself from the court's decision on age limits for presidential and vice-presidential candidates. I think that's what you're going to do this weekend, isn't it? Draw up this whole family tree to see how everything is connected. <laughs> but you know what? In, in Indonesia, most you know leaders are, have this level of connection, even Prabowo Subianto, right? He's also married to certain members of the political elite. What I think is very interesting is if you look at the polls, he was vowed to be the leader, right? If you look at the polls, but because of this connection with Jokowi's son, you've actually seen his popularity dip a bit. And I wonder whether the electorate is just fed up of all these kind of shenanigans that take place. But I'm so confused because the son is running not for the father's party, but for another party altogether. So where... How well, and how will Joko Widodo then? Well, like, I, where does his loyalty uh, lie? Does he vote for his son? There's, there's so much debate, right? I mean, look, if you think about it, Prabowo actually competed with Jokowi in the last election and they created, and he's part of the cabinet. At the same time, Jokowi actually is part of the party with Megawati Sukarno Putri, where actually he's not affiliated to, but now there are apparently rifts taking place there. So it is very complicated, Shouting, I don't think we can spend the long weekend just to unpack this. It really is a very interesting dynamic. So it's all up for grabs in my view. 
Okay, so then what does this mean for Indonesia? They're definitely an up-and-coming Asian economy, right? If you look at the uh, stock market, it hasn't really done well in the last few weeks. I think there's been a flight to safety. The rupiah has come under pressure. That's the reason why the Bank of uh, Indonesia had to raise rates. Mm. Uh, there's been a slowdown in key commodities like coal and palm oil, which they're very dependent on. But at the same time, lots of investors are eyeing the fact that there's 300 million Indonesians. There's a growing middle class who all want to consume. There's a big, there's been lots of spending in terms of infrastructure. They've got like a high-speed train between Bandung and Jakarta. Lots of investments there. Is this all going to be disrupted because there's just too much politicking going on behind the scenes and the country is going to be distracted by what is going to be a very contentious polit- uh, presidential election? It could be. It could be. I mean, this is one of the interesting things, particularly with Indonesia. They do actually get you know, technocrats to actually run. Mm. I think there was a former McKinsey consultant who actually is the education minister and such, right? So I think that's very interesting. But you make a very interesting point. And extending that conversation to next year, next year, it's going to be a busy year globally for elections. I think you're seeing 40 countries, no less the United States, India, the United Kingdom, all going through elections, accounting for 40% of the population and 42% of the GDP. Will these elections create a lot of uncertainty next year then? I'm also curious, are we going to see a trend continuing where the votes come down really in the middle? You know, there's no real clear winner. And if there, even if it is, it's just by a few percentage points. And we did see that in like the French elections recently, yeah. you know, and it's being repeated even here in Malaysia. Mm. What does this then mean? Are the world going to be divided into really clear black and white camps? So the biggest issue is that when you bring it down the middle, which is great, right? You have this middle, then you actually have the marginals, the phrase, mm. those extremist parties on both the left and right becoming essential kingmakers. If you if you are all vying for the middle vote, right, then what typically could happen here is that you end up requiring these extreme far right and far mm. left parties to form coalitions. That's what we saw there in Italy. That's what's also happening a bit in Spain. So I think this New is Zealand one of, too? in New Zealand too, right? So I think this is one of the biggest observational trends we need to observe, right? See whether that is going to manifest itself next year. Okay, interesting stuff. We're going to be a very busy team in 2024 covering all these 40 elections. I'm sure. I'm not sure we'll get to all 40, but clearly mm. the big ones matter to us. The ones that are happening in the United Kingdom, the United States and any of our neighbours. Now let's turn our attention to some good news because Philip C, you're going to be able to watch new movies New TV series, you don't have to watch reruns or reality TV, or, or reality TV, right? Yes. Because the Hollywood actors' strike has reached a tentative agreement with major studios and streamers Wednesday that could clear the way for the entertainment industry to restart its content factory. This is after six months of labor strike. There was a 118-day standoff, by the way. So work is going to restart on TV shows and films, restocking the pipeline. I think the pipeline was very dry. Yeah, I mean, it's evident in the in-flight entertainment, I say, on the flights now coming through. But I think what is very interesting is that the conversations are extended beyond the traditional studios, right? like Disney, Wonder Brothers. You have the likes of Netflix, Amazon also participating. You're seeing these new players also being caught up in these union negotiation strikes taking place here. Yeah, because I think the arrival of stream st- streaming has really changed the dynamics of the film and TV industry. In previous years, there were already contracts assigned, right, in terms of how much you would get if these movies were played, if mm. these TV shows were syndicated. But streaming changed all that. So I think this actor strike was trying to address what should be a fair amount paid to these um, actors. 
and it's got what what is happened so far we understand is that a new a contract valued at more than 1 billion and includes the creation of a streaming participation bonus as well as outsized compensation increases for background performers was what changed uh, that's what ended the strike. So the in a way, the actors got what they wanted. I think, you know, when you talk about this development of streaming, right, such a fascinating story because if you remember before, these big-time Hollywood actresses like Scar jo- Scarlett Johansson actually had a... Stru- uh, had a bit of a was went to court right with mm. I think the streamers like Netflix over the profit share agreements they took yes. and they could negotiate that because they were star power but when you talk to the rest of the ecosystem of the industry they do rely on unions to actually make their case heard this is where it's very interesting right where you see these Hollywood actors and actresses being able to renegotiate mm. their terms to benefit the profit share but of course everybody didn't benefit then and so now it's all come to roost. Okay, so at least we'll be getting all our movies and TV series back on, back soon. Because even it extended the fact that even though the movie was ready, actors actually couldn't go out and promote their films. Yes. Okay, let's turn our attention to something else happening in the United States, and that is the Republican Party debates. There was a third one for you who didn't notice, and there were only five candidates on the stage. Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim... Scott and they uh, sparred in what some would say was a substantive debate that dissected disagreements over aid to Ukraine, social security, confronting China, banning TikTok and how to approach abortion less than 24 hours actually after the Republicans actually suffered an electoral setback. Yes, that's right. I think one of the, the in the electoral setback, they, it was really about the topics of abortion. I it think was over Nick, only eight states though, right? Over eight states. But mm-hmm. it was very telling, especially at Ohio. Now, what was very interesting was Nikki Haley really did stand out in my view, just listening to excerpts of it. And if you actually watch the... the the, the exchange that took place between her and Vivek Ramaswamy, it really felt like she really came out on top as, you know, Vivek, you know, took this chauvinistic stand, took her, told her that she was Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. Five. But she immediately retorted and said, no, they're not three inches, they're actually five inches. Yes. And she uses them as ammunition. So, and she ended the conversation by calling him scum. So, it really wasn't a love fest between all the different candidates, but she really held her own in my view. But apparently the debate got very personal other than that, uh, yeah. because the most loathed figure appeared to be Mr. Ramaswamy, who from the start fought not just with the rivals flanking him, but also the moderators and the head of the Republican National Committee. He, of course, is a big Trump supporter. Now, out of these five, who do you think might be the potential candidate if by any chance Donald Trump who is of course way 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 ahead in the polls is the likely presidential candidate for the Republican Party. I think that's why if you notice none of them really bashed Donald Trump so much with of course the exception of Chris Christie but you know they definitely need his support they need these mega voters to come out and vote for them in the event that if if Donald Trump gets convicted he cannot run for election right? Well he can he can. Well not yet do we know for sure that he can? I mean he can still run in an orange jumpsuit (laughs) I mean the constitution doesn't buy him from it. Doesn't buy him from it. So I think that's the debate right but you don't want to alienate these MAGA voters if there is a considered effort to that he doesn't run in the end. You're still not answering my question. Who of the five do you think is going to be the likely candidate? Or, sh- or are we just going to leave it there? Well, I think Nikki Haley has really run, gone up the polls. So she comes across as a very credible psych position now, although still far away. 
Okay, we'll watch this space. We're heading into some messages. We'll come back with a look at the political recaps. Well, actually, the Malaysian recaps for this week. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. It's 9.49. It's Friday the 10th of November. And of course, you're listening to WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. Philip, what's your surname again? S-E-E. Are you related to all the C's out there? Are there many? Actually, it's not such a common surname, right? Not, not that common, but I'm wondering why you're asking me this question. Okay, because I'm a Wong, but I'm <laughs> yeah. not related to every single Wong that's out there. I thought you were related to Lawrence Wong, the upcoming Singapore Prime Minister. I, no, I'm not. Not at all. <laughs> I, I have no connection to him whatsoever other than following him on Instagram, watching him play with dogs and, of course, play, guitar uh, play the guitar as well. Because this is all related to a story that kind of happened over the week, and it's Lim Guan Eng because he wants past lawmaker and Kapala Bata's member of parliament, Siti Masura Muhammad, to furnish proof of her claims that the DAP national chairman has family ties to the late Malayan Communist Party leader, Chinping, and also Singapore's former prime minister, the late Lee Kuan Yew. Now, this was in a video posted on social media that Sissi Mastura was seen at an event in Kamaman, Trangano, making allegations against various DAP leaders, including Anthony Lo, Lim Kit Siang, Lim Guan Eng, Nga Koming, Teresa Kok, who's who, right, of DAP. Yes. And the media has approached Sissi Mastura comment, but she has, of course, ignored their request. So it's all in the name. I, I don't get it. It's okay, so she's just basically said he's related to all of them. And that's a bad thing. I mean, the question here is, why do you bring up these things, right? Yeah, What's and they're the fake news, by the way. They're yeah, not it's fake news. Fake news. Yeah, so why do you bring up all these things also? It doesn't really help, right? It doesn't help the situation as a whole. And of course, naturally, Bukit Bandera MP Shalina Abdurajah on the, uh, Thursday lodged a police report at the Brickfields Direct Police HQ against Siti Mastura Muhammad. Because as you know, right, with social media, things go viral very fast. And the question is, you will have to be held accountable. Okay, but at the same time, if you are the recipient of this information and you go to a Chirama and your MP or some political, you know, uh, politician comes up and makes these statements, does it not, isn't it one of those things where when you listen upon it, you're like, excuse me, how is this relevant? Yeah. How is this relevant to me making a decision as to whether another politician is credible or not? Just because maybe all the way back somewhere a long time ago, you had a distant relative that perhaps is not someone you admire or appreciate. Should you not just look at the character of the politician and what he's done for the country and he's where he stands on policy rather than who his relatives may or may not be? And in this case, was not. Yeah. I, I think this is also a function of inexperienced politicians, I suspect, you know, because she's all new and, and she's not only in this came DAP young MPs also have also gone into a lot of hot water, right, for displaying this kind of uh, laissez-faire approach towards communication. I think they have just to be very thoughtful in what they say and how they communicate these things because it spreads very far, it's fast in this age of social media as well. Yeah, so you make all these accusations rather than focusing on the policy and issues at hand, right? How does this make politics politics or discourse on political issues meaningful. It's not substantive it's in not. nature. It's like just mudslinging left, right yes, and centre, right? Exactly. Okay, so he's related to that person, so he must be by connection also a communist. Is that what they're trying to say? Hmm. Or uh, because he's related to Lee Kuan Yew, is that a bad thing? If I had some of his traits, I'll be very proud, right? <laughs> He'd be like supremely clever, <laughs> supremely disciplined. I would have had a first class honours from a law degree from, is it Cambridge. from Cambridge, which I don't have. So I, I, I don't really get it. I mean, why can't we just move forward? 
Yeah, I think you have to judge someone not by their their affiliations, but by the works and actions that they take naturally, right? That's yes. what you're you're pushing for here. Yeah, and it doesn't say very much when you're the one doing the accusations. Now let's turn our attention to some happier news because it's the weekend. You might want to go try some new restaurants, new places because mm. the Michelin Guide uh, Kuala Lumpur and Penang 2024 has come out, and there are an addition of fourteen new inter eateries that have been given this bib goman sorry keep calm is not here because he speaks fluent french recognition so it brings a total of 45 food establishments that offer outstanding dining experiences at apparently reasonable prices okay this is depending on your definition of what's reasonable <laughs> i think for me this is where uh nice to see this list come through see that it's expanded to 45 i do worry that if we keep on expanding the list it actually dilutes the perceptive perception of what is high quality and high standards going forward right what i think is very important is we see the additions i want to eventually see the removals as well <laughs> those that also don't meet the mark and meet the standards right that's when we really start taking this list seriously because it's do you take this list seriously do you go and eat based on this list i'm not 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 entirely. Of course, it's a good reference point. Then, of course, I check with other people, right, and say, hey, what do you think about this? Shall we do this together? And naturally, because they're so popular, it's really what's available, right, in terms of being able to make a reservation. But nowadays, for me, yeah, these things, like if you add Nam Hyung chicken rice or Jalan Ipo clay pot chicken rice, which is just very down, down the road to where I stay, um, I think it's a very different perspective for mm. me uh, versus someone who maybe comes to visit a country like Malaysia. So I think a tourist would definitely appreciate something like yes. this. But for a local like me, where I think you kind of know the back streets furthermore. Or you, you listen to your friend's recommendations, right? A bit more carefully, then I think you take it with a pinch of salt. But I think, the, like you say, it's useful from a tourism initiative perspective, okay? Because like you say, if you're coming to Malaysia for the first time and you really don't know where to go and eat yeah. and food is such a core, core component of what we offer as a country, then these lists are helpful. But of course, you know, I think if you ask me, print out this list and you can have a wonderful debate with your friends and family as to which one is good and which one isn't wow. good. So that's my exercise for everybody Print this weekend. Print this list, discuss this with the home-cooked food your mom made. You'll definitely be public enemy number one. Mom's food is always the best. Now, we end with this story coming out about how credit card companies, or at least banks, are driving sales. And it's going to be concerts. For sure, right? I mean, your base Taylor Swift card really, is, uh, really did extremely well. It really is all about experiences going forward. Definitely. So, you know, you can get sign-ups just because you are able to give people early access to that concert. So that's a new way of marketing. That's all we have from you from the morning run on WTF. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise. Taking us out is Who Do You Love by the Sapphires. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.